Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. You're in the fall! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la bonne Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. pour les Canadiens. Le fac troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. It's going to be sick. Marinaro on this Wednesday, May 10. It is one minute past 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and the Toronto Maple Leafs are still alive. They beat the Florida Panthers by a score of 2-1, to one, and the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, avoid the sweep. The series goes back to Toronto. The Leafs with uh, some life, of course. Uh, and that's okay because, you know what, let's, uh, let's just see this series go on as long as it can. By the way, the second round of the playoffs hasn't been too great, has it? The first round was absolutely fantastic. The second round has been uh, not very uh, not very good, to be honest. Anyway, more on that. George Larac actually joining us, uh, if all goes well, in just a minute here. Uh, it is um, the SICK Podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. Also brought to you in part by Excel Moto, the premier motorcycle and scooter dealership in Montreal for over 20 years. Their dealership carries seven different motorcycle and scooter brands. The number one Aprilia and Piaggio ambassadors for the last five years. Uh, Excel Moto, your ultimate destination and best customer service for me. The only place to buy a Piaggio and or a Vespa scooter in Montreal. And I'll tell you right now, they are at 5480 Rupare. And you can give them a call at 514-738-6686. And also brought to you in part by La Bite at TV. Brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bite at TV. These guys right here. Look at that. All right. Okay. Uh, they offer quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bite at TV. Embrace your 
true nature. We're going to talk with George Larac tonight, and we're also going to talk with Stu Cowan. George Larac, by the way, is at the Edmonton Oilers game. Uh, I, I don't know if we're actually going to touch base with him. We touched base earlier on, and uh, we, we said that we were going to try. And uh, I don't know. I don't expect him to join us. But if he does, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, uh, if I was him, I would enjoy the game. But what can I tell you? Uh, he loves us. He might want to check in. Vegas leads this uh, series two games to one with the uh, game four, of course, in Edmonton here. And this is um, at the Rogers place. This is a biggie. I mean, because if Edmonton go down three games to one, going back to Vegas, uh, even with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, I, I don't like their chances at that point. As a matter of fact, they were completely shut down last game. They were almost invisible. So I expect them to try to, to put on a show tonight. At least I expect them to. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, there are many of you that are actually on right now. On and on, and, uh, I thank you for watching. Thank you very much. Um, Stuart Skinner has to be stellar, says K-Wolf. And um, he was pulled last game. And this is not the first time that he's been pulled in the playoffs. Not the first time. And there was a game um, in round one, of course, versus the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, I called my buddy and I said, uh, what would you do? And, and you know what? Uh, he got pulled. Jack Campbell came in relief. And uh, Campbell played great. And uh, I said to myself, I said, you know what? I think they got to go back with Campbell. That was my immediate reaction. And then I thought about it. And I thought about it the next day. And then I called my buddy, um, who's close to the Oilers. And I said to him, I said, you know what? I've given it some thought. Jack Campbell, I think, had, uh, I think Stuart Skinner, Campbell, I think, had played in the last 18 games. I think he had played four of them. He was 4-0, though. But Skinner had played like 14 of them. And he was also very good. It was, his save percentage was lights out, too. I think he had a save percentage of like 930 or something like that. Um, it was very, very good. And I said to uh, my buddy, I said, you know what? If they go with Campbell now, it's kind of like a desperate move. And you got to... You got to tell your guy that took you there that, um, you know, he's the guy. And that's exactly what they did. And they come back with Skinner again tonight. And I'm watching right now. There's images. Uh, they're showing Connor McDavid. Before that, they showed Darnell Nurse. Nurse hasn't you know, been nearly good enough. Jonathan Marcheseau, who was scoreless going into last game, and last game scored two big goals for the Vegas Golden Knights. And um, we took. All we brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. One comment says, um, your scouts seem to have very strong opinions on Pierre-Luc Dubois becoming a hab. Yeah, well, on draft lottery night, I asked um, Kyle Woodleaf of the Redline Report um, if he would make a pitch for Pierre-Luc Dubois, and he said not a chance. And then I asked um, Simo the Snake Boisvert if um, he would go after Pierre-Luc Dubois, and he said no. You're probably all sick of the Pierre-Luc Dubois talk right about now. But I'm going to warn you, it's going to intensify between now and the 28th of June. Why? For several reasons. 
because he's from here, because he wants out of Winnipeg, because he's going to have members of the media pushing for him, because he's going to have a sector of the fan base that's going to be pushing for him, and because pick number five is not pick one, two, three, or four. And I'm going to tell you why. As much as people are excited about Matt Vemichkov, they were more excited two days ago than they are today. Why? Because we're starting to get more and more information and there's just too many question marks. I think he's an awesome talent. Would I pass on up on him? No. But imagine you draft him at number five and he never comes over. Imagine you draft him at number five and he doesn't come over until... 2026, which is the contract, so we're hearing. But Martin Maguire of 98.5 FM, he was saying that there's some confusion as to whether or not Michkov signed a two-year deal, he signed the three-year deal, he signed the four-year deal. There's talk that if it is a deal that expires in 2026, that it could actually be extended and then end up expiring in 2028. There's talk that his late father wanted him to get out of that contract, wanted him to leave Russia, wanted him to go to North America. And of course, about five weeks ago, his father went out for a walk and never came back. He was tragically killed. Um, an investigation is ongoing and who knows what's going on there. All right. All right. Just waiting to see. George Lorac, hold on a second. All right, okay. We had reached out earlier this afternoon, and uh, I reached out again now to just to say, hey, you know, if you're at the game, don't worry about it and stuff like that. He wants to watch the game. Ooh, no problem. Uh, Stu Cowan, once again, will join us in about 10 minutes' time. We have no shortage of things that we want to talk about, by the way. Uh, there's news out of Pittsburgh with the Penguins. Um, there's news out of um, New York with the Rangers. Uh, there's a lot of Michkov news. There's just there's there's a lot of news. But, you know, I can't wait to get Stu on because we're going to talk about Michkov. Because my gut tells me that he'll be available at five when the Canadians draft. That's what my gut tells me. So if you were hoping for Carlson, I don't think it's going to happen. If you were hoping for Will Smith, I don't think it's going to happen. So Bedard will go one. Fantilli will go two. And it's either going to be Smith to Columbus and um, Leo Carlson to San Jose, or it's going to be the other way around. That's the way I see it going down. And at that point, the Canadians have a decision to make. It's either draft Matt Michkov with the number five pick. It's either pass on Matt, Matt Michkov and draft somebody else or trade the pick and uh, there are some who want to accelerate the rebuild and that would be one way of doing it we say hello to Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette and HockeyInsideOut.com how are you I'm doing well Tony how are you very very well that sweater suits you nice oh thank you <laughs> that little zip up it's uh suits you nice suits you nice enjoying the backyard the last couple of days or what yeah, it's been nice. I don't have the pool ready yet, but... Uh, oh, you don't have the pool it. ready yet? No, a couple more weeks, probably. 
And why, as coming from somebody who never owned a pool, uh, why? What, what's the whole preparation entail? Uh, it's not the preparation. It needs to stay a little warmer at night uh, for the water to be warm enough to swim in. Ah, okay, okay. So uh, you don't have a heater? Or? No, not heated. It's not heated. Is there a reason for that, or now I'm curious? Yeah, because we get the sun in our backyard all day, so we don't need it, really. There's. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to Wildwood often. Okay. Back back then, that was like a luxury destination for us, right? It was no, that was like that was like going to uh going to a um uh you know like a Royalton nowadays, a beautiful five star resort um that you can you can find with uh with uh Sunwing now WestJet by the way because I, I heard they've been acquired by them, you know they they fly to uh you know they deal with uh with the Royalton resorts those are five stars but when I was a kid. Uh, a five-star resort would have been uh, Wildwood and stuff like that. And every time we jumped in the water, the water was freezing. And we used to say, excuse me, but is this pool heated? And then they always used to say yes. But when we found out when we left was they meant heated by the sun. It wasn't actually, there was no heater. Uh, and by the way, the ocean water was never uh, hotter than that either. It was always ice cold when we went in. But it's funny because every year that we didn't vacation to Wildwood, when we went, it was always ice cold. And when we didn't, we would always run into people in Montreal and they would say, yeah, we just got back from Wildwood. Oh, really? How was it? Oh, it was beautiful. How was the water? Beautiful. Very, very nice. But it was cold. Though. No, it was so warm. But every time we would go, we would get like hypothermia. Anyway, well, we used to go to Maine and it was the same thing when I was a kid. The water was Same thing, cold eh? There. Same thing. All right. Okay. Uh, Matt Vemichkov has been the talk of Montreal for the most part ever since the lottery the other night. And we found out that the Montreal Canadiens didn't advance or regress in their positioning, and they would be picking number five. For the most part, most experts seem to think that Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, and Will Smith will probably go in the top four. Unless... A team is really sold on Michkov and or, or knows something that we don't know, unless Columbus really wants to gamble or San Jose really wants to gamble and take Michkov. That's the way it's going to go. So Michkov would be there um, when the Canadians pick at number five. I don't expect you to know everything about the player because I said this a couple of days ago. Everyone who covers the National Hockey League full-time and pretends to know every single thing that there is about junior players, they're faking it. Well, it's, I, it's, it's, it's impossible. I, I don't pretend to be anywhere near an expert on these players, Tony, because yeah. I never see them play. I see them and neither, the neither am I. We see them in big tournaments. That's it, right? That's it. See them for, on TV at big tournaments. You don't even see them live. And so it's hard to uh, – I don't pretend to be an expert on these guys. I yeah. Mean, uh, some people I respect when our scouts and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I mean – I, I, I'll never pretend to be an expert on these young guys because yeah. I don't see them play. I'm, I'm focused on the Canadians during the season. But based on what's going on in Russia, have you talked to members of the organization or anyone close to the situation about, um, you know, this summer in the draft, are you going to um, stay away from Russians or are you actually going to, you know, business as usual? No, I would mean, uh, to me, if I'm the Canadians, I think it's just too big of a risk at number five. With so many factors in with this guy, with... You know, he's under contract through 2026 with the, the, the 
team in Russia. Uh, if he comes to the NHL, it would be under an entry-level contract. Uh, the Russian team would be able to offer him a lot more money to stay there. Maybe he stays there. The situation with his father, mysterious death behind him. There's just so many, so many red flags up there that I think at number five is just too high of a, of a risk to take. And I'll be interested to see if somebody ahead of the Canadians does take that risk. Um, you know, he's a goal scorer. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's proven he can score goals. Um, but to me personally, I think it's just too big of a risk. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't take him not at number five. All right. So at that point, um, Leonard could be one who is uh, Will Smith's line mate with the U S mm-hmm. national development program. And uh, Dalibor Dvorsky could be the other. Those are probably well, the, the usual suspects. It could be anybody, but I yeah, Dvorsky is an interesting Zach, one. Just, just Zach Benson, they, too, by the way. Continue. Yeah, but I mean, Dvorsky's an interesting guy just because they picked two Slovaks last year in the in the first round, and are they going to go that route again? He's a big guy. He's a centerman. Um, again, I don't pretend to know these guys. I haven't seen them play. I read like you do. I read stuff about them. But um, just, as a, again, just with Mitchkov, I just think there's just too many. It's too big of a risk that he, and too much of a chance that he'll never play in Montreal or, or never end up playing here. And I think that's too big of a risk to take at number five. I think you're better off taking a guy that you know is going to be able to play here. Uh, never mind having to wait three years. That's that's not such a big deal because it takes guys normally that long to be ready to play in the NHL anyway. But there's no guarantee he's coming here after three years either for the reasons I mentioned before. So for me, it's just too much of a risk at number five to pick a guy that you might never have play in your uniform. All right, okay. Um, for the most part, this has been getting a lot of talk um, on French radio and French television. Um, it's the talk of Pierre Dubois. And now some people are going to say, oh, my God, not again. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, you know, it, it, I find it a little bit tiring to talk about as well, but it's, it's going to keep on coming up to the forefront uh, until something happens, basically. But here's your buddy. Um, Brendan Kelly, what the puck of the Montreal Gazette and HockeyInsideOut.com. What the puck should the Canadians trade fifth pick for Pierre-Luc Dubois? Will Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes stick with the pick and get entangled in the mysterious case of Matvey Michkov? Much intrigue remains. All right. Everyone has an opinion, and it seems like this is... I don't want to generalize, okay? I don't want to generalize. But based on what I've seen, based on what I've seen and based on what I've heard, If you ask a member of the media who works in French, they're going to tell you, yes, you got to go out and get Pierre-Luc Dubois. If you talk to a member of the media um, who works in English, they're going to tell you, stay away. Now, there are exceptions. Aaron Portsline, who used to cover the Columbus Blue Jackets for the uh, Columbus Dispatch and now covers the Blue Jackets for the Athletic, over the last year, year and a half or so. Uh, He joined me last night, but he had also joined me probably a couple of weeks before that. And uh, he covered Dubois when Dubois was in Columbus, and he's very, very high on Dubois. Uh, It says that um, Dubois always wanted to be a Montreal Canadian. Um, He, you know, he was, the the Blue Jackets were worried that the Canadians were actually going to offer Sheetham. So they traded away a couple of players so they can get rid of the salary so that they can, have some salary available to them should they had to match an offer sheet from the Canadians at that point. And uh, when he asked the Columbus Blue Jackets to trade him on more than one occasion and they didn't, that's why he went out and he dogged it for like a 20-second shift and showed he was completely uninterested 
And that was his way of saying to the Columbus Blue Jackets, you don't want to trade me to Montreal? Well, this is what you can expect from my shifts. And that was the last shift he ever played with the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they traded him. Your thoughts? Well, what happens if he comes to Montreal and he's not happy here? Is he going to pull the same thing here? Do I try and get out? That's a big red flag for me, a guy not just quitting on his team, but quitting on his teammates like that. Uh, on the ice, I, that, I have a big problem with that. And I also it doesn't show a lot of professional pride, does it? It doesn't show pride. It doesn't show respect for the game. It doesn't show respect for the teammates. It doesn't show respect for the contract he has and the money that that team is paying him. Doesn't so, show respect for the fans or the fans that paid to watch the game. Exactly. So that, that's to me, that's a big concern. Uh, he wasn't great in Winnipeg this year either. There's a lot of problems there in the locker room. Uh, how much he was involved in that or not, I don't know. I'm not around that team. But why would you trade a number five pick for a guy that you can get him next summer for absolutely nothing except money as an unrestricted free agent if you really want him? If he wants to come to Montreal and his agent has said he does, and if the Canadians want him, uh, why would you give up a number five pick? Wait one year. The Canes aren't in a huge rush next season. They don't need Pierre-Luc Dubois immediately. It's not like they're going to win the Stanley Cup next year or, or contend for the Stanley Cup. So wait a year. Keep your number five pick and keep Pierre-Luc Dubois. Yeah, by the, the way, by the if, way, our, our, our friends in the French media would probably say, <laughs> well, because Winnipeg is going to trade him by then. And to that I answer, okay, they can trade him to whoever they want. But he still is not going to have a contract. His contract yeah. will be up at the end of next year because he's RFA, so he's going to sign a one-year deal. And so then all he has to do is if he gets traded to whichever team, let's just say he gets traded to the Buffalo Sabres, for example. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, if he gets traded to the Buffalo Sabres uh, and the Buffalo Sabres want to sign him, if he really wants to be a Montreal Canadian, all he has to say is, no, I'm not signing. Yeah, exactly. And then the Sabres could end up trying to trade him at the deadline if they want or they can hold on, whatever. And then on July 1st, at the end of that season, which we are, what, um, you know, 13 and a half months away, in 13 and a half months from now, at that point, he can say, you know what, I'm going to unrestrict the free agency and then just sign with the Montreal Canadiens. But uh, you're right. There's, there's no reason to give up anything for him unless you want to make a push for the playoffs the upcoming season and you want to get in, but, uh, or unless you're not selling tickets and you think you can help you sell tickets, but I don't think the Canadians that really care all that much, whether they make the playoffs or don't make the playoffs next year. And I don't think selling tickets in Montreal is a problem. No, I can't use isn't going to rush this rebuild. And, you know, he's put Winnipeg in a tough situation. And before that, he put Columbus in a tough situation. So you're going to sign this guy to a long-term contract, and then maybe he puts you in a tough situation three years from now. Maybe things don't go as well in Montreal as he expected. Maybe he's not happy with the coach. Maybe he's not happy with his ice time. And maybe he decides, oh, you know what? I'm just going to yeah. stop playing until they trade me also. So there's a lot of red flags at this player. I mean, and again. one nothing okay. Edmonton, by the way. The beauty of uh, live podcasting, all right? So that you, you see, you watch the game. And uh, you see a goal, and so here you go. Uh, what is it? Five or six minutes into the game, the Edmonton Oilers are uh, are up by a score of uh, one to nothing. All right, okay. I mean, Dubois is a good player. He helped the Kings for sure. He's a big centerman. He's a local guy. Um, Jonathan Drouin is leaving. You know, they're, they're going to want to bring in another French Canadian servant. Again, there's just no reason. Ken Hughes said at the post mortem news conference, you know, they're not not saying play like the 
going into this season, there was no talk about them making the playoffs. Going into next season, Kent Hughes said, you know, yeah, we're going in. We think we might have a chance to make the playoffs, but they're not going to speed up the process. So why are you going to, you know, if they were going to be a Stanley Cup contender next season and you thought Pierre-Luc Dubois might get them over the hump or get them to get them to the promised land, oh, yeah, but why would you give up anything again for a guy who seems like he wants to come here and a guy you can get next year for nothing? I mean, if the Jets, if he, he's going to sign a one-year contract through arbitration. Yeah. Yeah. And then if, he, if he plays with Winnipeg and Winnipeg, he's going to be hired to trade, obviously. But then at the trade deadline, maybe some team takes him on as a rental, uh, knowing that he's just a rental. And then after that, he signs with the Canadians next summer, if that's what the, if he wants that and if the Canadians want that. Yeah. Did you, um, did you see Lane Hudson's goal the other yeah. day in the yeah. shootout? Did you see I that? Did. I did. Amazing. Good, eh? There's no, no doubt he has skill. I mean, I know at the draft when they drafted him when he showed up, at the podium to be interviewed. It looked like he had borrowed his father's sweater. I mean, the kid's wow. so small. But, I mean, he can play. And as Canadian said when they drafted him, he's that sort of modern-day defenseman that can control the offensive play and skate it out and move the puck like Hughes does. And and he's, he's definitely got to get bigger. He's got to get stronger. Uh, you know, it looks like he's going back to university next season. He probably should go another season after that also. Uh, university is where you can add strength, where you can get bigger and stronger. It certainly didn't hurt Jordan Harris staying all four years at university. But this kid's an incredibly gifted hockey player. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the size issue is a concern. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, if and when he gets to the Canadians in the NHL, how much that, that is. I mean, we saw Sean, yeah. Sean Farrell playing. It's only a few games in the NHL, but, I mean, he's small, and he got bounced around quite a bit uh, the games that he did play. So, um, again, no need to rush with him either. Yeah, no, you're you're right about that. Um, yeah, so I had a chance. Uh, I had a chance to see that, and also on social media, one of the things I came across as well. Um, I don't know if you saw it the other night, but a couple of nights ago on draft lottery night, we had uh, several draft experts, and um, Kyle Woodleaf of the Redline Report was one, and Grant McCag of Recruits was another, and um, Simo the Snake Boisvert was another, and Snake Boisvert said that. He's not the president of the Logan Mayu fan club as far as being a hockey player is concerned. And he believes that uh, the only reason why he's dominating is that he's bigger, he's stronger, and uh, he's in his uh, fourth year uh, because he just turned 20. And um, and I said, um, and I said basically, well, I mean, he was 19 for most of the season. He just turned 20 like three weeks ago. Not to mention that last year he only played like, I don't know, 10 games or whatever it was. And the year before that, it was a COVID year as well. So this guy hasn't played a lot of hockey. And I said, I, I think you're, you're, you're downplaying as, you know, as well as he's, you're downplaying, you know, um, the fact that he's performed really, really well in the Ontario Hockey League this year. And uh, he said, no, no, he's not a fan. And he said he'd actually trade him. He said he doesn't think the Canadians prospect are as good as, as a lot of people think they are. And then I, um, I saw Grant McCagg put on Twitter earlier this morning that he spoke to a scout who says that um, Mayu is by far the best defenseman in the OHL. And the scout told him that he thinks it's, um, I, he thinks that Mayu is an NHL defenseman already. To which Scott Wheeler of The Athletic replied that if you pull, you know, a hundred scouts or a hundred GMs in the league or whatever it was. I forget his tweet. I'll going to try and look it up in a second, but 95% of them will tell you that, um, uh, is better than Logan Mayu. So, well, but you know, my, my thing I've never seen with the rookie development camp and 
rookie camp uh, this season. You know, he's obviously a big kid. He can skate. He can shoot. There's some questions about his defense. Again, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on him because I don't watch him play. I don't, you know, I don't cover his team. Um, but, you know, I, I tell people this about the draft all the time. It, it's a crapshoot. You're trying to predict what an 18-year-old kid is going to be like when he's 21, 22, 23. There's so many factors involved yeah. as far as gaining strength, as far as maturity, physical, mental maturity, uh, handling the pressure, everything else. I always tell people, you know, look at the NHL guide. I don't even know if they still publish it, but the big, you know, thick NHL guide they used to put out every year. Or just go online and look at the first, not not the second, third, fourth, fifth. Look at the first round of every draft of every year. And half the guys, you won't even know, like, who they are. It's so it's such a difficult process trying to predict what kids at 18 years old are going to do when they're 21, 22. You know, the NBA draft is – sorry, the NFL draft, the players are older. They've been through university already. It's a crapshoot. I mean, Alex yeah. is Lafreniere. Everybody thought Lafreniere was the unanimous number one pick, right? The year he got drafted. Yeah. Ended up playing on the fourth line with the Rangers. Did nothing in the playoffs this season. It's a crapshoot. I mean, the, the, the Connor Bedards of the world are the – the Connor McDavid's or Sidney Crosby's are the ones that come along once every maybe 10 years or so that are, you know, you know, they're going to be good when they get to the NHL. But apart from that, it's, it's, it's a crapshoot. It, it really is. And, and it's a tough thing to predict how any player is going to do uh, at 18 years old, how they're going to be when they, when they get to the NHL. So different people can have different opinions on it, but you know, as every draft, judge the draft four or five years after the draft and see how many guys are there. And as I said, go back, just look at the first round of, go year by year through the first yeah. round of the draft. There's going to be more names that you've never heard of than there are that you know. It's going to be such a huge draft year for uh, for Nick Bobrov and company, right? It's going to be a mm -hmm. big one. The Canadians with the fifth pick. What does your gut tell you what they're going to do with it? Well, I think they're going to keep it. Um, I don't think you they're going to so, trade yeah. it. Um, and if Will Smith is available, I think you're going to take Will Smith because there's a connection there with Kent Hughes. Kent Hughes used to coach him in minor hockey. Yeah. Uh, Kent Hughes talks about the importance of character and, and whatnot. And as he said in his news conference or his Zoom conference after the draft lottery, you know, he knows him as a, this kid as a character. He knows he's a good person. He'll rely on his scouts who have seen him play more often recently because Kent hasn't uh, um, for the hockey side. But I think if Will Smith is available at number five, I, I think that's the guy they're going to take. If he's not, again, I think uh, Dvorsky could be a guy, just big centerman, <clears throat> excuse me, the Slovak connection with um, uh, Masar and uh, <clears throat> Slavkovsky from last year. They obviously scouted, they, they know players from that area. Um, so I would think, and again, maybe maybe they go with Mitchkov if he's available. I mean, I wouldn't. I, I just think there's too much of a risk. But I think those are the two guys that if they're available at number five, I think I think Will Smith would be their first choice, and if not Dvorsky, but that's just my speculation on what uh, what I think would happen. I don't think Will Smith's going to be available. No, no, I really don't. Or, or do the Canadians try and trade up? I mean, if they really like Will Smith that much, and another team is sort of uncertain, do they maybe trade up? And uh, yeah, but how many times does five trade with three or five well, trade with four? Not that often. Not that often. But, I mean, thing I mean, with, I, I, with Kent Hughes, Kent Hughes is an aggressive GM. We saw that at the tra uh, draft last year when he made the, the trade for Kirby Dock. So, I mean, if, if he's that high on Will Smith and, and they think he's going to go earlier, I'm sure he will try it. Well, I'm sure. I imagine he would, might try to make to make a move to, to move up and get him. But, if, again, I think if he's available at number five, I think that's the guy the Canadians take. There's only one way the team drafting third or the team drafting fourth will trade their pick to the Canadians. There's only one way. A, 
they have to know the Canadians want Smith, for example, mm-hmm. and they don't want that player. Yeah. Okay. And B, even if that's the case, the Canadians will have no idea knowing that that team wouldn't want that player, right? So mm-hmm. they would have to probably throw in the Florida pick. That's the yeah. only way I could see them yeah. moving up. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, that's possible. That's possible. But I, I, one of the, I just one, think knowing what we know about the prospects, yeah, I, I don't think the teams that are drafting third and fourth are going to want to trade their pick when one of them will take Carlson and one of them will take Smith when the other ones will have to say, yeah, once again, and unless one of them is really in love with Dvorsky and know that the Canadians or Benson and know that the Canadians want Will Smith, that's the only way you can pull off this deal. But or if a team is con- or if a team is convinced they're going to take Mitchkoff, or if a team is convinced that they're going to take Mitchkoff, we're going to take Mitchkoff, and if we so we, if we can make a deal with the Canadians and they don't want Mitchkoff and they want uh, they want Will Smith, that's another possibility there where the Canadians move up and take Will Smith, and that team takes Mitchkoff, who they wanted anyway, and maybe gets a Canadians other pick in the first round or something else. Yeah. Uh, or, just, or we were yeah, talking if about... If you said the gamble was so big for Montreal, it's so big for those other teams too, right? I mean, there's so yeah. much on the line. Can you imagine and, drafting a player at three or four and he never comes over? And, you know, you are talking about Logan Mayu earlier. And, yeah. you know, I've written many columns of why I thought it was a, a really bad move by the Canes to draft him when the kid said he didn't want to be drafted. Yeah. Um, but I also, like, do the Canadians want to keep keep that story around? Like, I've, Logan Mayu is... is done everything he, he since that time to try and show that he, that's not the person he is or that he's changed he's a better kid he's you know he's gone he's done everything he should he deserves a second chance he should play in the nhl um but do the canadians want that story following them all around so uh, there's maybe logan may who's somebody they'd be willing to throw into a trade uh at the draft I, you know what it's, it's it's i have a little bit of a, maybe it's a crazy opinion on this but i've been called uh, many things in the past and crazy has been one of them Let's just say the Canadians trade Mayu. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure that it looks as good on the Canadians as some people actually think and say, okay, because you're going to have a lot of people who are going to say, you know what? They corrected something that should have never have happened. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a lot of people that are going to say that. But you know what? You have an opportunity here. You've put together certain programs. Mm-hmm. You're helping him try and rehabilitate himself. Mm-hmm. You're... Um, helping him through this experience. You want to turn a negative into a positive. You want to be able to make him go to school and talk about, you know, certain responsibilities with social media and some of the temptations that come with it and some of the dangers that come with it. Um, You could turn a negative into a positive here. And if you trade him, it almost looks like you're washing your hands and you don't want to work with him. You know, so I don't... um, I don't think it would look that great if they would trade him. And I understand well, well, that there's going to be a lot of people that would want them to trade him. They have they have worked with them already up to this point. Um, you know, they totally that was that was you know they'd be teaching the Logan Mayu situation in, in you know, marketing or, or public relations schools for years of how not to do something. Right? I mean, they, yeah. they weren't they weren't prepared at all for the backlash, which was shocking that they weren't prepared for the backlash. Uh, they weren't prepared to answer questions. At the draft, they weren't prepared to answer questions. After the draft, it was like five days, I think, till Jeff Molson held his uh, Zoom conference uh, after they had drafted Mayu. It's shocking 
to me still that they didn't it's not like all of a sudden I'd pick 28 and Mayo was still available. So, you know what? Maybe we should take Mayo. Like they had draft meetings for weeks leading up to it. They were going to pick him if he was available. That was their plan. But how they didn't have a plan to uh, put a, uh, try and put some kind of a more positive spin on it rather than Mark Bergeron just saying, well, he's a good hockey player. They underestimated, <clears throat> they underestimated the gravity of the situation yeah. and and the the ramifications yeah. Um, thereafter, they they, but they since totally. Then, under, since but then but here's, the deal. here's the deal, though. If Mark Bergevin <laughs> was still the GM, Paul Wilson was still the head of communications, and um, if they were still here, at one point, they could probably trade him and say, you know what, we made a mistake here. This is going to be our way of correcting it. Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes. It's not their mistake. No, so I, think it's, I think it's easier. Falling on their lap. I think it's easier for them to trade them, and it's not. I mean, it was also Jeff Molson's mistake, right? He signed off on it. Of course, yeah. So is he? But, but I, again, I mean, if if I don't know if the Canadians want and and this Logan Mayo thing to continue to be part of them. Like, I don't know if they want to keep half to answer questions with this going on and on and on. Uh, maybe they're very comfortable with it. And they have, as I said, since since that happened, the Kings have done a lot of good things to try and turn a bad situation uh, into a better situation. Logan Mayo has done the same also. I know when he spoke with us at training camp, he said that at some point in the future, he'd like to speak with kids about this issue. But he says, first, I need to get myself right also. First, I have to do what I need to do to, to get myself in a better place. So, yeah. you know, I, I remember that the, the scrum that they had at the training camp. It's easy to forget how young these kids are. He was 18 at the time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he was surrounded by 30 media people right around him. Uh, tough situation for anybody, never mind a young kid. And he handled himself really well. He seemed very sincere in his answers. He seemed, uh, um, I think it's easier for older people maybe to uh, to put on a false front in that situation that is for a younger kid. And he was, he seems sincere. And again, I said that Logan Mayo, in my opinion, deserves to play in the NHL. He deserves a second chance. He's done everything right since that day to try and improve yeah. the situation. So have the Canadians. So if he stays with the Canadians, I'm fine with that. If he the yeah. Canadians trade him, I would also understand why the Canadians, and it would also, it wouldn't, I don't, I don't think Kent Hughes isn't going to make that trade just to get rid of Logan Mayo. He's going to make that trade because he thinks it's going to make the Canadians better. So that's going to fact. Yeah. So if there's what a trade the there Phoenix... where they can move Logan Mayo and yeah. make the team better in their opinion, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they do that. One of the things you said, Stu, was uh, not so sure the Canadians want them, uh, this following them around the whole time and, uh, you know, questions about it and this and that and whatever. Like, I understand that us members of the media, we have to ask questions. Really, I get it. But what do we st- what do we have to ask still about Logan Mayu? Like, are we are we, like are we going to go back on that or like? No, I mean to me, I mean, to me, it's, like, gonna it's always going to be it's always going to be part of his story, right? He was yes, charged with the yes. Sexual, it's all it's not that's not going to disappear. That's going to follow him, and that's part of the price he's he's paying for for what he did. That's going to follow him forever. It's always it's still it's always going to be part of my story that I am <laughs> the greatest looking Montrealer to ever work sports radio <laughs> in this city and now podcasting. But I mean. Uh, Comes with the territory, man. I have to, have to, have to yeah. answer, but I have to answer. Yeah, but and again, I mean, as I said, Logan Mayo to me uh, made a, a dumb mistake, a, a horrible mistake when he was a young kid. He was a young kid at the time. 
hopefully he's learned for it. And, more impo- and just as importantly, hopefully a lot of other young kids who you know, yeah. live on their phone and share all this stuff on social media and don't think about it, don't realize that it stays there uh, forever. Um, it's a lesson. Maybe it's a wake-up yeah. call for some of them. Yeah. I thought right from the day one, I've, I've written that and said that this on a, uh, if there's a bright side to this, it might be a real eye-opener for other kids, whether they're junior hockey yeah. players or just kids in high school or CJEP or university, that this is serious. This is serious stuff. You got to be yeah, careful and really smart what, yeah. you, what you use your phone for and what you share on social media. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge wake-up call to this younger generation, Stu. It's a huge wake-up call to everyone, really, in that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the phone is a very, very dangerous thing, and social media is a very, very dangerous mm-hmm. thing. And the reality is, is that, in 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, um, you just, you, you can't do stuff like this with the phone. And maybe back in the 80s, um, there wasn't social media. And uh, if there was phones and social media back in the 80s, a lot of people were going to be in a lot of trouble. And in the 90s as well, a lot of people were going to be in a lot of trouble. But it's a, it's a wake-up call for sure. It well, really I have friends is a wake-up call for sure. I have friends of mine who work in management positions, high management positions at different companies. And as they say, when somebody applies for a job, you send in your resume. One of the first things the company does is look at your social media accounts. Yeah. So on your Facebook page, look on your Twitter account, see what's out there. It says a lot about people. It says a lot about people. Yeah. And, and a lot of kids, I don't think, realize that. They just think when they're posting stuff on social media, it's just for my friends. We're going to laugh. It's a joke. You know, Logan Mayu sharing you with the, the photo with his teammates. Uh, you know, and, and not 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 realizing uh, the implications that can come with that. All right, okay, uh, man. The Oilers are really, really flying tonight. Man, they're really flying. Uh, if uh, people had cell phones in the sixties, seventies, eighties, my God, says no. Ryan Baker. Um, well, how- I mean, in my single days, I remember I spent uh, a fair amount of town, time down on Bishop and Crescent Street. And I'm sure there's a lot of Canadians. I know there's a lot of Canadians players in that generation that are very happy that were wearing yeah. around back then. Yeah. By the way, the 90s were really fun, too, because back in the 90s, I mean, I was born in 72. So and then 92, like I'm 20, uh, obviously. And then 90, I'm 18. And the, the 90s were so much fun where everyone just... Uh, yeah. So were the eighties, trust me. <laughs> yeah, the eighties and uh, the seventies. I would imagine were even more fun, huh? Well, the seventies. I was my my teenage years were more uh, in the eighties. My eighties and early nineties were my 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 times downtown on Crescent Street and Bishop Street. My God, Rock uh, Mick Jagger must have had so much fun. Oh my God, <laughs> he still uh, is. He's still having fun. He's still having fun, eh? Yeah. No, that's. Uh, I know. I know. Who do you think is going to win the cup? Uh, that's a good question. I, Carolina is. I remember when the kid they played Canes played Carolina at the Bell Center late in the season. And I was watching them and like, man, were they good? Like they were just big and strong and fast and and they play the style of hockey I think Marty Saint Louis wants to play moving forward. Uh, they're just a fun team to watch and they're big and they they just do everything right. I think Carolina is really going to be hard to beat. I, uh, I shared this story before, but when I saw Michael Matheson uh, several weeks ago, maybe now it's even a month ago, I don't remember now, at uh, St. Gabriel's Elementary School in Point St. Charles, and I said to him, I said, uh, Mike, that you know, what who's that one team that you played against them in the regular season? You said, oh, man, they're good, and I think they can go all the way. And he said, well, Boston, obviously, when they're on, they're on. He said, but the other team I'll tell you is Carolina. 
Yeah, we played Carolina a couple of times, and he goes, man, they're really good. And you know good. what? Boston didn't look like it in the playoffs, but Carolina certainly has. They, they really do. And, and, you know, it's a team we don't see that often. And as I said, just going back to that game uh, against the Canadians, they were awesome. And then watching, like, New Jersey. I watched New Jersey in the first round. And, man, they're a fun team to watch. They're so fast. And I was thinking, man, they're going to be tough to beat. But I mean, Carolina has just been too much for, for the Devils to handle, just their size and, and the speed. And they're just coming at you in waves. And you know, really well-coached team. Uh, coach who coaches similar to uh, Marty St. Louis, Rod Brindamore, players type of coach. Guy who you know was a player not that long ago. Can really relate to the modern-day player. Uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, great coach for Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Uh, you wonder how things might have been different for Kotkaniemi in Montreal if Marty St. Louis had been the coach. Uh, when he was here, but again, I just think Carolina's uh, they play a, a type of hockey that St. Louis wants to play, but they're like three years ahead of where the Canadians hope to get. Yeah, there. would be awesome if we <laughs> have uh, and uh, Laurent Roy just brought it up a rematch from the 2006 Stanley Cup final. Remember when Carolina played Edmonton and Carolina beat the Edmonton Orders in game seven? And uh, Carolina was, was George Larac playing in that final? I think he was. I'd have to take a look at uh, George Larac on Hockey Database. But Car- Carolina's uh, a fun I place. He was. Carolina's a fun place to watch a game too, uh, especially in the playoffs. I'm sure because it's right. The arena's right beside the college football stadium, and they have tailgating there. They got a great thing going on outside. And they got passionate fans there in Carolina. It's a it's a pretty cool place. Yeah, I have uh, George Lorac's hockey database here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, in the 2006 playoffs, uh, he played 15 games that playoff year. And so, yeah, he lost out on the Stanley Cup in game seven. How many penalty minutes in those 15 games? 44. Yeah, 44 penalty minutes. Can you imagine you play, you know, you play an entire, you have your career in the National Hockey League. It goes 10 plus years. You make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. You go to Game Seven and you lose. Yeah, I, I rather. You know I, I've never obviously I can't speak from any kind of experience whatsoever, but I, I think I'd rather not go to a Game Seven than spend the rest of my life saying we lost Game Seven. I'd rather get swept in four. I'm sure, guys, at that point, there's some who would say you'd rather lose in the first round. You know, for the physical and toll it takes on your body to get to the final and then to lose in Game Seven. Like, wow, it's uh, yeah. That's it's got to be. I can't imagine how how devastating that must be. Yeah, um, Toronto Part of what makes sports great, though, Tony. That's what makes sports so great. Yeah, no, you're right. And look, Toronto avoids elimination tonight. And now you know what everyone's thinking in Toronto, right? They're thinking yeah. the Leafs are going to come back and win the series. <laughs> well, if they win, if they win the next game in Toronto, it will be very interesting. But uh, uh, watching the game tonight, I thought Carolina was going to come back and tie it up there when they made it two one. Uh, just the way the flow of the game, the Leafs started looking nervous again and having problems getting the puck out of their own zone. Uh, I mean, it's so rare for a, a sweep in an NHL playoff series. So, um, no, even if the Leafs do win the next game, you know, I, I, I can't see them coming back from a 3 nothing deficit. Not the way this team seems to fold when the pressure's on them. And, and tonight, you can say there really wasn't that much pressure on them, right? You're down 3 nothing. May as well give it your all if you're going to go out, go out uh, with a fight. And uh, they hung on, uh, forced one more game. So I'm sure uh, guys, people at Sportsnet will be very happy because that will give them another high ratings game uh, coming up in a couple of nights. I, I hear you. Um, okay, so let's just say they lose. Let's just say they would have lost tonight and they would have got swept. What would happen in Toronto? It's a good question. I mean, 
know, from listening to Toronto media guys around the team, they think there'll be major changes. And Elliot Friedman was saying that also. For me, if if I'm the Leafs, you know, they they're those four the four big guys they have there are they haven't been able to win with them. You got to shake it up somehow. I don't think Tavares is tradable. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I would be shopping Austin Matthews around. People might think that's crazy, but you, you would. would get, eh? Yeah, you would get a ton for him. You would get a ton for him right now, and you would get you'd be able to get maybe the pieces because they have. You know, Michel Terry used to always say, you know, there's different chairs on a team, and players need to be able to fit into a, different chairs. The Leafs have four guys basically sitting in almost the same chair. These are they've invested all their money in these high-powered offensive players, and they're they're missing elsewhere. But for me, I, I would look at trading Austin Matthews. I mean, who knows if he wants to stay in Toronto when he becomes a free agent? I believe it's after next season. Uh, does he want to stay in the pressure that's there? Does he want to go somewhere else? Does he want to go back to the states? Does he want to go to Arizona if Arizona gets the new arena? Um, so I would be if I was the Leafs. You know, I think the coach is gone. Um, you think so, eh? I, I think so. It is the GM. You know, the GM Dubas may. I mean, Dubas. The Leafs are bait, are an analytics based team. I mean, that team is built almost entirely on analytics. Uh, it works in the regular season. Doesn't work so well in the playoffs. Um, Shanahan and Dubas. I don't know. I, I think the coach would be the first one to go. Um, but again, I, I would look at chopping Austin Matthews and seeing, and you would get a lot for him, and you might get enough to fill some of the holes that uh, are behind him. You still have Nylander. You still have the other guys there uh, that can provide some offense. But uh, that's what I would do. I mean, some people might think I'm crazy, but I would be shopping Austin Matthews. And I, I don't know if he's the guy who's going to carry you in the playoffs. Like, I, I, I really don't. I'm not around that team enough. But he just seems from an, an outsider sort of looking in, it doesn't seem to me the guy who's going to carry. He's not like O'Reilly. I mean, O'Reilly's a guy who can take a team on his shoulders and and, and carry guys and get guys pumped up and get guys motivated. I don't know if Matthews is that guy. And again, you know, sell high, right? If you are uh, if you don't think you're going to be able to resign him and keep him, and if you're looking to shake up the team, that would be a pretty good way to shake him up and maybe bring in some other parts uh, that might help the team moving forward. By the way, I don't know if there's another player in the National Hockey League. This is probably unfair that I say this, by the way, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's just perception, okay? It's just perception. Nothing more. I don't know if there's another player in the National Hockey League that looks more unhappy than Austin Matthews. It, yeah. He really looks like the weight of the world is on his shoulders, and he feels he has more pressure than anyone else in the game. And by the way, by the way, Carey Price one, once upon a time kind of looked like that to me. And now if you actually think about what I just said, does anyone have more pressure in the National Hockey League than the goalie of the Montreal Canadiens or a 60-goal scorer for the Toronto Maple Leafs? It's, yeah. it's you know, like you can understand it. If it's said, the case, you can understand to, it. Maybe he wants to go somewhere else. You know, and, and watching the Leafs in the playoffs, I've watched just about every game. Yeah. People dump on John Tavares, but John Tavares comes to play. Like you watch him play, he he battles, he wins faceoffs, he's hard in the corners, he works hard. You know Matthews. There's nights where you don't notice him. You notice John Tavares. You know Neilander. You notice Neilander's fine. And then Marner, you notice most games. Matthews is the one guy to me who you know, despite scoring the sixty goals, that there's nights where you don't really notice him that much. And again, I just I don't know if he's the guy who. 
was going to carry you through the playoffs. And again, and also the guy you're going to get the most for if you do trade him. You're, you're going to get a, at least you get a ton for Austin Matthews. If they, I mean, teams are knocking down the door of Dubas, whoever the GM is, to try and get Austin Matthews. And yeah, it'd be a blockbuster trade. You'd get more than one part coming back. Yeah, that's for sure. But then again, then again, knowing his track record in Toronto, and let's just say they don't win. Uh, will a team want to acquire Austin Matthews knowing that in a couple of years they're going to have to give him $15 million a year? Well, because the cap's going up, right? Yeah. The cap's going up. Yep, yeah, I'm sure. And the Leafs probably can't afford to give him that money with the other guys they already have, right? So that, that factors into it also. But I'm sure there's a few teams out there that would be uh, willing to, to do whatever it would take to get Austin Matthews. Okay. Um, Jeff Molson said, get ready. Anything could happen any day for Cole Caulfield, but at the same time, uh, you know, we are, I have full confidence in Kent and in Jeff that he'll be signed before the start of the next regular season. Um, yeah, before the start of the next regular season, I mean, Montreal Canadiens fans wanted this signed uh, four months ago. Yeah, but again, there's no, one thing about Kent Hughes, he's, he's, he's a smart guy. He doesn't rush into things. And, you know, I asked him in the, the post-mortem about dealing with the pressure of, of the job. And he says, I don't feel pressure. And a lot of guys say that. But when he says that, I believe it. You know, a lot of guys say they never read social media. They don't care about what anybody writes or says about them. The only guy I've ever really believed who said that was Shea Weber. <laughs> but Kent Hughes is, is the one guy, like, when he says he doesn't feel pressure, I believe him. Because he took this – he never – he didn't go looking for this job. Like he wasn't bang, banging on doors to become a GM. The Canadian, he, was doing, he was doing really well in life. He was he was doing really well as a player agent. He had a great yeah. life. He had a beautiful house in the suburbs of Boston. He was a member of a couple of golf courses. Yeah, he could go out with his for his wife with dinner, and nobody knew who he was. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I believe his dad, who lives on the West Island, thought he was pretty crazy for taking the job. It, he never he thought did. he would take it. He did. He had a, he had lived a very charmed life. He worked hard. He made a lot of money as a player agent. Uh, when the Canadians first contacted him, he said he had no interest. His wife basically said, are you sure? Like, you know, it's a chance to go back home. And it was after COVID. Uh, both of their parents are still, I believe, are still alive. And they're uh, still in the West Island. It was a chance yes, to come yeah, back live after on the West COVID. Island. Yeah, yeah. yeah, be near the families again. Uh, there was a lot of things. She, she basically told him to think about it. Uh, he thought about it. So he's in a position where he has a plan. He knows what he wants to do. He knows how he wants to do it. He's not going to rush into it. If it works, great. He'll be a hero in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. If it doesn't work, he'll get fired. Like all GMs eventually get fired. And he'll either go back to being an agent or he'll just retire and go back to his beautiful home in the suburbs of Boston and play golf and enjoy life. So I believe him when he says he doesn't feel pressure. It's not, he, he, he knows what he wants to do and he's not going to rush into anything. And that includes, to get back to your question, it was Cole Caulfield. Yeah. They, don't need to, they don't need to rush into this. There's not. They, they have some time. I mean, you, you go back to the Kotkaniemi offer sheet thing that came in. Um, yeah, that's a possibility. But I imagine they're just they're. I imagine they're for most of them. They say you know it could happen any day. I'm sure they're close. It's just a case of of you know finishing it off and and getting things done. I think I mentioned this the last time. It's sort of like with the, the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson, their quarterback with the contract negotiations with him and people were freaking out. And then when it got settled, the owner, I think it was the owner of the gym said, <coughs> it was nothing personal, it was just business. We wanted to keep him. He wanted to stay here. It was a business. And we just had to figure out 
you know, get yeah. the number that we both agreed to on. And that's the same situation with Cole Caulfield. I'm sure it'll get done. Yeah. Uh, either it's the term or the money or both. But uh, Cole Caulfield wants to stay here. Uh, the Canadians want to keep him here. I think it'll happen. It's just uh, a case of, I don't want to say who blinks first, but yeah. it's a case of uh, just, you know, coming to that final agreement, like what the Ravens did with uh, Lamar Jackson, where both sides agree. Yeah. Both sides are, I mean, both sides aren't going to be 100% happy because uh, the Canadians will probably think maybe they're giving up a little too much and maybe Cole Caulfield is thinking he's getting a little too little. But at yeah. the end of the day, I believe uh, what Jeff Molson said, when it, I mean, could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be in a couple of weeks. And also, Kent Hughes was over at the World Under 18 Championships. Yes, he was. Yeah, in Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. So now, I mean, he's he's back. I don't know if he's in Montreal now or if he's in Boston. He's in uh, he's in Boston. He's in yeah. Boston. Yeah. So I mean, there, there's time now to to finish that negotiation. Again, I think it's just a matter of time before it gets finished. Yeah. Um. He, you know, he. Uh, uh, you talked about his parents. His dad Emerson told your buddy. Uh, John Mahar of the Montreal yeah. Gazette, uh, give or take about 15 and a half months ago, I was able to yeah. Google it and I found it. Yeah, I remember the story. Quote, Personally, I wouldn't have given up the lifestyle he had. He belongs to yeah. probably the second nicest golf course in Boston and a private, very exclusive golf course on the Cape. Yeah. He traveled probably 30 days a year. The rest of the time he worked <laughs> from home. What else can you ask for? Yeah, I believe he has another house on the Cape also near the other golf course. So yeah, and just look at the, just the money he would have made on Bergeron's contracts alone. You know, with the, with seven or ten percent, whatever the agents are taking, it's you know he's he's made a lot of money. He's a multimillionaire. He's and he's yeah. But it was as he told me when I had a one on one with him after the job. There's only only two teams who would have even considered doing this. One was the Canadians, and one was the Bruins. And again, when the Canadians first contacted him, when Gordon first contacted him, he said, "No, I'm not interested." Uh, and you can understand why for the exact reasons that his dad said. He has lived a very yeah. very charmed life. And uh, very successful at what he did. I'm sure it, it was difficult for him to leave the players that he had been with for so long. Mike Matheson is one of those players. Ken Hughes has known Mike Matheson since he was 13 or 14 years old. Um, but it was a challenge for him. And, and he's a smart guy who likes challenges. But again, to get back to what uh, I honestly believe him when he says he doesn't feel pressure. When you see him being interviewed, whether it's at the postmortem, whether it was after the draft lottery, there's no nerves. Like he's, 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 He's doing his job. He goes into work every day. He knows what he has to do, what he wants to do, and he does it. And as again, as I said, if it works out, fantastic. And if it doesn't work out, he'll get fired and he'll go back to living a very charmed life. Stu, thank you so much uh, for joining me tonight. Great conversation. As always, I hope it warms up for you so that the uh, the water <laughs> in the pool warms up and you can start using the pool. How are your dogs doing? They're doing great. Thanks. Hey, we got the new one, Missy, there. She's uh, yeah. just before Christmas. She's a year-old black lab. Uh, fantastic dog. She's getting my legs in shape because I walk her every morning for about an hour and a half and every night for about an hour. So it's uh, it's fine. Okay, good. Uh, happy to hear it, Stu. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, Tony. Take care, buddy. All right. There you have it, uh, Stu Cowan. We're going to get to uh, some, of your, um, some of your questions, if you like. We have a couple of minutes here. Let's get to them. Once again, uh, in case you're joining us, the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs beat the Florida Panthers by a score of 2-1. to one. And um, so they avoid elimination. Game 5 will be in Toronto in a couple of days. And uh, the Edmonton Orders, who are down two games to one in their series, they got off to a huge first period, scoring three goals. They're up by a score of 3 to nothing. How much would it take um, 
Kachuk, I don't know. I have no idea what that is. No, I don't know. Caulfield for uh, Caulfield for second overall is the only thing that's acceptable for me. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Tony Jesper Bratt to Montreal. Who would we trade? Logan Mayu? I like Jesper Bratt. He can fly. He's a good player. Picks up points too. Tony, what do you think the ceiling is for Slavkovsky in points? Hmm. Wow, I'm going to really end up looking like an idiot one day if I get this wrong, right? What's the ceiling for Slavkovsky in points? I'm going to say 70. But then again, if he ends up playing with two players that pick up 100 points, well, then he's going to end up getting 85. So, I mean, who knows? It all depends on who he's playing with, right? Either way, this is... uh, this is podcasting, and now there's a video evidence there for the rest of time. And uh, by the way, if he picks up 120 points, someone's going to say, you said the most he would pick up would be 70. Well, you know what? You ask me questions, I'm going to give you an opinion. I'd rather give you an opinion and have it be the wrong opinion in the end than not give you an opinion at all. It's always been my style, and it always will be. Tony, would you take Rupe Hints over Caulfield? Rupe Hints is a heck of a hockey player. Two different players, though. One's a better scorer. One's a better all-around player. Tony, uh, what do you do if Caulfield doesn't want to commit to more than four years? Well, you got to commit to as long as he wants to commit. I have a feeling it's either going to be three or seven. I It could be three or eight, but I don't think it's going to be any other number. Others coming in. Is it possible to get rid of Michkov's contract with the AHL to keep him here? Um, based on what I've read, no. Some are saying there's chance, possibly, you know, doesn't look like it. When it comes to Russia, nothing's guaranteed, but it doesn't look like it. If anything, I mean, the talk is that he's never going to come over. Now we're seeing how fast they can get him over. What do you think of your experts' opinions on the draft? And whose opinion do you trust the most? It's not a question of trusting one the most. Snake Boisvert is going to be right where others are going to be wrong. Grant's going to be right where others are going to be wrong. Kyle Woodleaf's going to be right when others are going to be wrong. Maybe on one player in particular, they might all be wrong. Maybe on one player in particular, they might all be right. Which team will have the stones to draft Michkov and at what point in the draft? This is coming in from Drew. Drew? I think the Canadians will pass on Michkov at five. I think he'll be available, and I think they will pass on him at five. I wouldn't be shocked if Michkov isn't selected in the top ten. I wouldn't be shocked. Others. Tony, what's your opinion on Nick Bobrov? Well, I don't really care about what he's done in the past. I care about what he's going to do as Montreal Canadiens uh, director of scouting. And so far, he only has one year under his belt, and you can't judge anyone under one year. That type of position, you need to give it long-term because it takes a long time for players to actually make their way in the National Hockey League and establish themselves. So, you know, I don't really want to be talking about Bob Rowe's body of work until about year five, to be honest. 
because they might take a player that was drafted in his first year, uh, in Bob Ross' first year with the Canadians. It might take that player year five before that player actually is able to explode. So I don't want to go to that before year five. That's it for us. It was fun as usual. Uh, if you're uh, going to be listening to more on Google, Apple, or Spotify, leave us a five-star review. It's our way of feeling the love. And if you're watching us tonight on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, or Twitter Live, share it. Like it with your uh, share it with your friends. Like it. Uh, put it on a, a, a bunch of different group pages and stuff like that. That'll be cool. And message sick, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. Tomorrow night, we're back, same time, same place, 10 p.m. Eastern. And joining me from 10 to 10.30 will be the guy they call Mapper, Marc-Andre Perot. For Agnello and Sammy at Master Control, they're Cavallaro. I'm... And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature.